Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. Tonight, as we wrap up the Advent series, we're going to talk about King Herod and the Magi. Now, let me do a, just a brief review before we get into some new territory tonight. We said the Advents of Jesus, the first Advent, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the second Advent when he returns. We say the Advents of Jesus, the glorious bookends of this age, are filled with hope. And we who are approaching the second Advent, the soon coming second Advent of Jesus, should be people of increasing hope as we see the day of his return approaching. We shouldn't be doom and gloom. We shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't back down. No, we should be a people of increasing hope because we are not the hopeless. We are the hopeful. Go ahead, put that in the chat and say it out loud. Say, we are not the hopeless. We are the hopeful. Come on, say it one more time and put it in the chat. Say, we are not the hopeless. We are the hopeful. One more time, say, we are not the hopeless. We are the hopeful. So as we await his second advent, we need to increase in hope. As we share, you can have hope in many different areas, your health, your family, your relationships, your finances, your career, your business, all of those areas of hope are good, they're wonderful, they're valid. However, we need to make sure that our hope is based on Jesus because if Jesus is not the foundation for our hopes, our hopes will be on shaky ground and that will lead to a shaky life and instability and things can crash at any moment. That's why every hope has to be founded upon Jesus, the foundation of our hope. We said simply hope is positive expectation. Despair is negative expectation. It is your job to make sure you are in hope and not despair. Despair is evil hope. The Spirit of God is endeavoring through the messages we've been sharing over the last few weeks and what he's doing in your life right now to shift you from despair to hope. So let's look again at what we covered about the Magi's and their worship of Jesus and how it relates to our everyday life. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Let's look at this again. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. That word troubled also means terrified. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the princes of Judah. For out of you shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. 
So let's do a little bit of review. Let's define some terms once again. Wise men, or the magi, as that word is actually, is a median group of priests and astronomers heavily influenced by the prophet Daniel. They were king makers. They were very rich and usually traveled with armed guards. They were students of the word that had been taught by Daniel. They held onto the word and watched for God's sign and confirmation. Then they traveled a great distance to seek Jesus, to worship him. And as we covered before, you know, it fits really well on Christmas cards and Christmas productions where you have three wise men, three magi. But the Bible doesn't say there was three wise men or three magi. It just specifies three gifts the wise men and the magi brought. For magi of that time, so when we talk about wise men, plural, that means there's at least two. But knowing from history who these people were, who these groups were, they didn't travel in small groups. They traveled in large groups in caravans to carry the treasure as well as armed guards to protect the treasure. And so when we see when Luke begin, Matthew excuse me, begins telling the story, he says, behold, that means look, wow, can you imagine this? He's grabbing the reader's attention. And for us who've heard the Christmas story again and again and again, yeah, wise men came from these, you know, behold, that's his King James, you know, you know, style. No, it is to get your attention about something marvelous that was happening that for Matthew, he understood what big deal this was. And today you're going to understand why this is a big deal in addition to what we've already shared. And it says Herod was troubled. He was terrified. So was Jerusalem with him. We'll get into that in a little bit. And so later when they found Jesus, it says when they opened, that speaks of a grand opening. The word presented means they're physically carrying large or heavy gifts. Gifts and treasures is the plural. So these are storehouses of treasures, not just little trinkets. Of course, that's good for you know Christmas production on a budget. That's good for a Christmas card. But they're not these small trinkets. These are these large storehouses of treasures. I like what Reverend Renner said, a Greek scholar. He said, according to the ancient custom, the gifts were commensurate of the size of the recipient. In other words, the gifts related to the status of the king. If it was a low-level king being born, then it was a low-level amount presented. But if it was a high-ranking king, there was a high amount of gifts presented. And so imagine Jesus being the king of kings, the one who they've been waiting for, the one who they learned about from about Daniel. They would present him the best of what they had. And so we see the, where these gifts, the gifts normally the Magi would bring were vases, urns, carpets, and exotic materials. Gold. It's many gifts of gold. This, world, this word for gold describes the purest form of gold, the highest form of gold reserved for political leaders and the wealthy. Frankincense, which was grown in Arabia and Sheba, was hard to fabricate. It was so expensive that it was only used primarily in the temple, and the temple used about 700 pounds a year. It was a favorite fragrance for kings. Myrrh was used in embalming. Now, a low-level king in those days would receive about 110 kilos of gold in a gift procession this way, or equivalent today of $5 million. That is what would have been presented to a low-level king. And we know Jesus is no low-level king, and we knew the Magi knew that. So just imagine what type of gift they presented to King Jesus. Frankincense and myrrh, get this, were more expensive than gold. So although the gold was, wow, and expensive, the frankincense and myrrh was worth even more than gold because of the travel and the distance it had to take to arrive to the king. And when we look at what these three gifts represent, gold speaks of Jesus' royalty. They recognize that Jesus is the king of kings. Although they were magi and kingmakers themselves and forms of royalty and very wealthy individuals, they recognize Jesus as king of kings. 
Frankincense spoke of his high priestly ministry. Myrrh spoke of his sacrificial death. So every gift was speaking toward the purpose of Jesus and they worshiped Jesus, acknowledging who he is and what he has come to do and what he would accomplish in his life. So let's go back to Matthew chapter two. Let's pick it with verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked to the wise men, was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. And so Herod is the villain of the story. You know, we've known for years, Herod, or as he's called in history, Herod the Great, is the villain of the Christmas story. But let's look at Herod. He's a very interesting individual. As I've been studying this out the last couple of weeks, he, his family, his descendants after him, you see the Herodian dynasty throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, well into the book of Acts. There's some very interesting characters. And let's look at Herod the Great. Let me give you a little bit of history. A lot of you know who have been part of faith for a long time that I love history. I'm a history nerd, so bear with me as we jump into some history. But I believe it's going to bring some light to why this happened in Matthew and how it impacts your everyday life even today. Herod the Great was a Roman client king of Judea, meaning he ruled under the authority of Rome. Rome placed him there. Now, something that you may not realize about Herod the Great was he wasn't Jewish. He was an Edomite, which means he was a descendant of Esau. He had embraced his family a couple generations before had embraced the Jewish religion. They had embraced Judaism. King Herod was also a Roman citizen. Now, remember, not everybody under the Roman Empire was a Roman citizen. Some people who were born Roman citizens, others had to pay for that fee. And other people lived in that empire were not Roman citizens. So you're either Roman citizen by birth. You're either a Roman citizen because you purchased your citizenship or you did not have the privilege of citizenship, even though you lived in the Roman Empire. Now, how did Herod become a Roman citizen? Very interesting. Julius Caesar granted Herod's father, Antipater, and his descendants Roman citizenship because he favored the entire family. So the reason why Herod was a Roman citizen is because Julius Caesar, yes, the one you learned about in history class, granted Herod's father and his family and their descendants Roman citizenship. Now, listen to this. He, Julius Caesar also appointed Antipater procurator of Judah, and that same year Antipater made Herod governor of Galilee. King Herod, or Herod the Great as we would know him, was close friends with Mark Antony, who we know as the husband of Cleopatra. Mark Antony, years later, made Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee. And so one of the things we see about Herod the Great's life, he is always on the way up in his political power and his authority. During this time, Parthia, the empire, the Parthian Empire, Parthia, P-A-R, 
T-H-I-A, say Parthia or Parthian, the Parthian Empire. In modern-day Iran, a little bit larger than that area. Parthia invaded Judea. And what happened when they invaded Judea? During this time we just talked about. This is still before Jesus, but Herod is still in power and ruling in this area. What happened? They removed Herod among many and among many other political officials and authorities from their seats of power. Herod barely escaped with his life and he escaped to Rome. The Roman Senate proclaimed Herod king of the Jews. Remember this phrase. He went to Rome to seek Roman support. Now remember, Herod was a Roman citizen. He had grown up, he had been trained in the way Romans do things. He was a favorite of Rome. The Roman Senate proclaimed Herod king of the Jews and sent Herod back with an army and Rome support to defeat Parthia and reclaim the land. It was a couple year progress to fight off the invasion as well as the insurrections and everything else that followed. Now, why is that important? So that just seems like a random fact that Herod had some political troubles. He, he left and he came back and they reclaimed the land. Listen to this. Parthia's kings were selected, elected, and sometimes even rejected by a council of wise men, priestly scientists, and guess what they were called? Magi. As we shared already, the Magi were priestly kingmakers of immense wealth who traveled in large caravans. So the Parthian Empire, the top elite that were right under the kings of that empire were the Magi. So let us sing in for a moment. Herod was a man of great political prowess and continued to grow and increase in power and authority even after Mark Antony was defeated. You learned about that in history class. After that, Caesar Augustus made Herod king of all Judea because he believed he would rule the area the way Rome wanted it done. Now, something else about Herod. He was known to ruthlessly and cruelly crush all opposition. Herod had three of his sons executed on suspicions that they might be plotting against him. This led Caesar to say that it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be one of his sons. Notice how ruthless and cruel Herod had to be for Caesar, the emperor, all the way around to say it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be one of Herod's sons. So now near the end of Herod's rule, he became even more paranoid and even more ruthless. This is the man the Magi met. At this time, Rome and Parthia had a decades-long peace agreement. So now you understand why Herod was troubled or terrified when the Magi showed up. Because it wasn't that long ago, a few decades prior, when the Parthians invaded and removed him from power. And now the Parthians are back again with the Magi. The Magi are from Parthia in these areas of the east. He remembered fleeing for his life and he's terrified because they are back again. Now, you know why Jerusalem is terrified because they remember the invasion. But also in order to get Herod back in power, Jerusalem was laid siege by Herod and Roman forces. So Je Jerusalem decades before had suffered because of this invasion. And now the Magi from Parthia have come to Herod asking him a question. 
Where is he that is born? What? King of the Jews. What did the Roman city call Herod? King of the Jews. So when the Magi show up, what's happening? Who is he who is actually the king of the Jews? Who was born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. You have to understand that people in this time, way more than they are this time, believed in things being pointed in space as signs of what's going on on earth. Now, we know from the Old Testament that God will use planets and stars to be his signs because they're his. It's his to do what he wants with them. You don't worship the signs. You don't worship the stars or the planets. But God will use them to talk about times and seasons and appointed times. And this is one of those cases. Now, whether it was a planet or a physical star or some other supernatural appearance in the sky, we don't know for sure. There's a lot of guesses, but no one knows for sure. But it was a star that many saw. They saw it. The Magi knew what it meant. And they came to Herod and says, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. So how many of you can understand why Herod's troubled? If you can understand it, go ahead and put that in the chat say, I understand it. If you can understand why Herod is troubled now, go ahead and put that in the chat say, I understand it. Now Herod realizes eventually the Magi aren't come to overthrow him. They're come to find the king of the Jews. But you have to think in the back of his mind. What if they're trying to install this baby in my place? Now, notice what Herod does next, because it's very interesting. Herod did not dismiss these claims. He called the priests. He called the scribes. He had them. He asked them. Now, why would you call the priests and scribes? Because you want to know where the prophesied one is supposed to be born at. Now, if you just thought this was a rumor, you would call your political officials, your guards, figure out, hey, have you heard anything? The only reason you would go to the text of the scriptures if you believed it to be true. He got the experts on the scriptures as where is he supposed to be born? And what did they say? They told him exactly. They knew the city he was supposed to be born in. And so he relayed that information to the Magi. says, go there so that I too can worship him. But that's not what Herod wanted. Herod wanted to remove his opposition. So one of the things interesting about Herod Herod wasn't an unbeliever. Herod believed that this child really could be the Messiah and the king of the Jews. And instead of being like the Magi, he saw him as a threat. Remember the Magi, these are men of great power and wealth and position and authority and influence. Yet they traveled all this way to come and bow down before Jesus and worship him. They positioned their heart, even in the midst of their immense power, wealth. Royalty, influence, and authority. They had positioned their hearts to bow down and worship Jesus. But Herod, a man of great power too, not as much as some of the Magi, but still a man of great power, great wealth, great influence. A man who had Rome's ear and was a friend to many in Roman power and knew many emperors and was favored by the Roman Senate and the Roman emperors. Didn't position his heart to bow. He saw Jesus as a threat and he wanted the threat removed so that's why he had all those children murdered just so he can possibly catch Jesus in the midst of all that you see that was just part of his standard operation remove the threat just like he executed three of his, executed three of his sons and banished one of his wives remove the threat he saw Jesus 
as a threat because of the condition of his heart. You see, I did a series last year talking about the most dangerous and damning thing in the whole world. The most dangerous thing, the most damning thing in the entire world is a hardened heart. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say a hardened heart. The most dangerous thing in the entire planet is a hardened heart. Because a heart that keeps hardening, it will get to a point that it will never turn around again. We saw that case with Pharaoh. And Paul talks about in depth in the book of Romans. How Pharaoh kept hardening his heart to a point where God said, fine, you'll be a vessel of wrath instead of a vessel of mercy. My will will still come to pass, but you'll be a vessel of wrath instead. It was because of Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh never recovered from that. Because for years, even before Moses got there, what he did with his heart, Herod refused to bow to Jesus because of his heart. It didn't have to do, people say, well, it was because he had money. No, the Magi had money too, and they bowed. Well, it was because he had influence. Magi had influence too, and they still bowed. It was because of his authority. Magi had authority too, yet they still bowed. It's not about the materials they had. It was about their heart. If you can see that, say, I can see that. Go ahead and put it in that chat. Say, if you can see this, I can see it. It was Herod's heart. As a result of his hardened heart, he moved to have Jesus executed as he executed so many others. And as so many others executed. Some he couldn't because he didn't have the influence or the authority to do so. But he would influence friends like Mark Antony to have other people executed. He had, and Mark Antony got one of the first ever kings, because mostly when in the Roman Empire, when kings were subjugated, they would just make them work for Rome. But because of Herod's influence with his friend Mark Antony, he had a king killed because he thought it was a threat to his power. This was Herod's standard operation. So even when someone who he possibly believed could be the Messiah, born king of the Jews, he saw him as a threat and wanted him removed as well because of his heart. Herod could have bowed, but his heart wouldn't let him. As I said, one of the most dangerous things in this world is a hardened heart. Herod became the villain of the story when he did not have to. He didn't have to be the villain, but his heart made him the villain. The Magi bowed, he refused. Don't let your heart start you as a friend of Jesus and make you wind up his enemy. Don't become the villain of this Christmas story. Just because today you are a friend of Jesus, don't let your heart become so twisted, so hard, so corrupted that you end up being an enemy of Jesus. See, we see that throughout the scriptures. It's not just with Herod. One of the most famous cases is Judas, the apostle who Jesus called his friend. One of the 12 and among many others who did life with Jesus, yet he still betrayed him. And when we study out Judas, we see the heart issues there. But there's also others in the scripture. Nicholas, one of the seven deacons in Acts chapter 6. You say, well, what happened to him? Well, you've read in Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus talked about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Nicholas, at some point years later, begins to teach a doctrine that infected the church. And Jesus commented on that doctrine in Revelation chapter 2. says, I hate that doctrine. I hate that teaching. How much would Jesus have to be opposed to the teaching of Nicholas, one of his former deacons, to say, I hate that teaching. Nicholas started as a friend, became an enemy. Another person, we don't have proof from the scripture that became an enemy, but we see he didn't finish the way he started. 
or he didn't finish better than where he started. See, his name was Demas. And Demas was so well-beloved and well-respected in the early church that Paul wrote about him in Colossians as well as in Philemon. He gets two shout-outs in scriptural epistles, two. But when you get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says something different. Let me read that to you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Starting with verse 9. He says, he's talking to Timothy. He said, do your diligence to come unto me shortly, for Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world and is departed into Thessalonica. What happened? Demas, well-beloved, well-respected, left. Why? Paul says because he loved this present world, not the people of the world. He's not talking about loving people. He's talking about loving this present world. See, this is why the Apostle John said not to love this world in 1 John 2. See, the word for love in 1 John 2, in the Greek, is referring to love we're supposed to have for God. It refers to the love God has for us. It refers to the love that God enables us to have for others. It is not to be used on the ways of this world, nor the things of this world. Yes, we are to enjoy things. This doesn't mean you're not supposed to have anything. You are to have things. You're supposed to enjoy things because the scripture tells you, Paul even wrote to Timothy, that we, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. However, we're not to love things in such a way that causes us to forsake God and trample on others. The Phillips translation of 1 John 2 says it this way, and it really paints a light that I want you to get in your heart today. Never give your hearts to this world or to any of the things in it. A man cannot love the Father and love the world at the same time. For the whole world system based on its man, um, based as it is on men's primitive desires, their greedy ambitions, and the glamour of all that they think splendid is not derived from the Father at all, but from the world itself. The world and all its passionate desires will one day disappear, but the man who was following God's will is part of the permanent and cannot die. It's about your heart. Demas' heart shifted, so he left. Herod's heart would not let him bow. How's your heart? Only you can answer that. How's your heart? Because one of the most dangerous things in the whole world is a hardened heart. And so I remind you tonight, even during this time of celebration, heed the wisdom of Proverbs 4.23. The New Living Translation says it this way, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life so two areas i want to encourage you to guard it from tonight guard it from offense one of the things i've seen over the years and we see it in scripture and i've seen it play out in life is that one of the things that causes hearts to become corrupted and hardened and causes people to turn away from god is offense sometimes people are offended at people in the church because they did them wrong whether it's someone they sat next to in church, whether it's someone who had authority in church or just somebody who went to church. They blamed everything on them and they left church or they left God. Or sometimes they left church and then eventually they left God or vice versa. Some people are just offended at God because what they were expecting to happen or believed for happen did not happen the way they wanted to. It didn't happen at all. And they became offended and hurt and they turned away. 
And then what happens when people turn away because of offense, they begin to create new doctrines. They begin to deconstruct even deconstruct things that should not be deconstructed. And they turn away because of offense. Offense is dangerous. Offense can hurt your heart. Offense can lead you to fall away from Jesus. Offense is dangerous. Offense can make you turn. Offense is dangerous. But a second one that you have to guard your heart from, the deceitfulness of sin. Say, guard your heart from offense. How do you do that? Forgive everybody of everything. Don't hold offense and grudges in your heart. It'll destroy you, not them. So guard your heart from offense and the deceitfulness of sin. Go ahead, put it in the chat. Guard. Now, if you guard something, that means you're on the lookout for it to make sure it does not steal what is precious. In your heart, the condition of your heart is precious. Just like if you get some wonderful gift this Christmas that's very valuable, you're going to guard it. You may buy a safe. You may upgrade your security system. There's certain things you would do to protect it, to guard it. And in Proverbs, it's above all things precious that you must guard, that you take special care to protect. Guard your heart. Because it determines the course of your life. Hebrews 3, 12 13, the New King James says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So unbelief will make you leave God. You just refuse to believe what God said. And you stay in that position for a long time, you will depart from God and his ways. But exhort one another, encourage one another, comfort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So not something else that will affect your heart and cause you to depart from God. The deceitfulness of sin. What is deceitfulness? It's tricky. Now we know Satan's called the deceiver. He's tricky. And sin is tricky because even Hebrews says sin is fun for a little bit. Well, why is it fun for a little bit? Because it's what your flesh want to do. It's fun until you have to pay for it because the wage of sin is death. And so until a manifestation of death shows up in your life, it seems fun. Just because it didn't catch up with you immediately, it seems good. But it's going to impact your heart. Now, what did he say? A little love spoils a whole lump. That deceitfulness of sin that you engage in. I'm not talking about what you struggle with, what you're fighting. I'm not talking about the sin that so easily besets that you're resisting it and you tripped up and you messed up and you repented. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that you sin once and you turn from it. I'm not talking about your old lifestyle, what you turn from. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about that sin that has your eye that you say, well, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter. It's 2021, 2022. doesn't matter. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about that thing that has your attention that is luring you away from God. It's working on your heart. And for people who stay in that, whatever that pet sin is, or whatever they're making excuse for that sin, or why saying, I'm not talking about things where it's kind of gray, you don't know if it's sin, you're still trying to figure out, searching the scriptures, is this right or is this wrong? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things you know clearly, it is sin, but you're trying to figure out a way to make God okay with your sin. Or just going along with it. Or saying it's not a big deal to Jesus. That was part of the doctrine of Nicolaitans, why Jesus hated it so much. Because the deceitfulness of sin will lead you away from God. And it will take friends of Jesus and make them enemies. Not because Jesus doesn't love them anymore. But the deceitfulness of sin, unbelief, and offense 
changes the heart of a person to where they no longer want Jesus. It's not that Jesus no longer wants them. Don't get it twisted. It's that they no longer want Jesus. They don't want his ways. They don't want to do what he wants them to do. They want to do what they want to do. They become deceived because their heart continually grows hard. And they can't hear him. So they hear everything but him. They listen to everything but him. They turn to everything but him. And they slowly but surely, it's not an immediate process. It's not someone who tripped and fell into sin and now is trying to get out. It's not, it's not that. It's the continually, willfully walking away, choosing to continually stay offended. I'm not talking about those who struggle and are working to get back and they're trying to figure it out. I'm not talking about that. Those who are you know, fighting their way through. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those who keep walking further and further and further away. Every time they do, their heart becomes harder. They become more deceived. They become more entrapped. They get stuck. And it's not like they can't come back. They don't want to come back. And the extreme cases end up like Pharaoh. Like Judas. Like Nicholas. Less extreme cases like Demas. I'm not saying some of them can't come back. Some of them can. Some of them may want to especially because of the prayers of the saints and people's witness to them. But some people won't want to and they will choose to be an enemy of the one who bled and died for them and was resurrected so they could be declared righteous and just. And what will those people say? They said, I don't want it anymore. I don't want it. I don't want Jesus because of their heart, because of offense, because of deceitfulness of sin. Because they stopped believing what God said. It's part of people falling away. There's a reason why people fall away. Sometimes people trip. They get deceived. And they come back. And someone has to help them back. Other people walk away because they just don't want it anymore. It's a heart issue. And the thing is, we can't judge other people's hearts. That's why Paul says, examine yourself. Whether you be in the faith or whether you be a reprobate. Examine yourself. Check your own heart. Guard your own heart. Where is your heart today? In the midst of the time of celebration, you have to guard your heart. And the thing is, you may be hurt. You need to let Jesus heal your heart. Don't harbor that all in there. Let Jesus heal it and talk to people. Talk to a counselor. Talk to a word-believing counselor or therapist. Work through the issues you have to work through. Don't keep that in your heart. Receive healing for your heart. Receive restoration for your soul. Forgive everyone of everything. Don't hold on to these things that will cause you to turn from Jesus. Or even a lesser form, just be stagnant. Because some people may have not turned. They've done their best to stay. But the reason why it's harder to stay is because they're holding on to the baggage of offense and unforgiveness and the pain of the past. And for whatever reason, they've refused to let it go. Or the deceitfulness of sin deciding, you know what? I'm going to change what I believe so I can do what I want to do. Oof, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Especially when you make that a lifestyle, that's dangerous. Don't be the villain of the story. Don't become the villain of the story. Don't be Herod. Don't let what you have cost you everything. Be like the Magi who had everything. And still bowed the knee and presented their best to Jesus. Don't think 
that the life you'll have without Jesus is better than the one you have with Jesus. The life with Jesus on this earth is far better than any life you can live without him. And then the eternal life he grants you and your eternity he grants you is far better than anything you can do in this life and definitely in the world to come because there is a heaven and there is a hell. So my message to you is guard your heart, watch your heart, check your heart, forgive quickly, repent quickly. Let every heart prepare him room. Don't end up like Herod. Be like the Magi. Position your heart and bow before Jesus. Live a life of reverential awe and deference to him, the King of Kings. Let your heart overflow with hope, joy, faith, and love as we approach the second advent of Jesus. Don't be those who allow their hearts to be turned aside or those who are drunken with worry and anxiety and the cares of this world, as the scriptures say, where that day catches them off guard, where they're not ready for the return of the Lord. Be that person who lives before him, who keeps himself pure because they expect his return. Be that person full of hope, Believing that something good is going to happen to them today because they know God and they know his word and they know his love. Be a person who keeps their heart right before God. I remember I heard this saying a long time ago, an old Pentecostal saying, keep your rivers pure. Watch your heart. Take care of your heart. Guard your heart. Set boundaries over your life so your heart is not hardened or corrupted. Let Jesus heal your heart. Let him deal with those deep-seated things. Establish good relationships where you can talk about these things. Get the help that you need so you can walk in the ways of God. Your heart is too precious for some of you to keep doing the same things you're doing. Some of you, I'm talking to you right now, you're not going to walk away. You keep doing the same things you're doing. You're just not going to have the best life. Some of you who are doing some of the things you know that you're doing that's wrong because God's been talking to you about it. You keep doing that. You may be in danger of walking away. So what do you do? Check your heart. Guard your heart. You, to the best of your ability, enabled by the Holy Ghost himself, live holy before God. Praise God. That's just what I wanted to share with you tonight. Let every heart prepare him room. Don't be the villain of the story. Follow after him. I didn't say be perfect. Didn't say that. I said follow him. Let him help you. Because if you keep focusing on following him, yeah, you trip. But at least you're following. You're not leaving. Yeah, you make a mistake. Yeah, you say something you're not supposed to. Yeah, you do something you're not supposed to. Yeah, you mess up stuff. Keep following him. Keep walking with him. Because as you do, he'll help you. Remember Peter, we see this throughout the Gospels, even the book of Acts. Peter just messing up. At different times, sometimes he got it right greatly. At other times, he missed it greatly. When he was walking in the water, you know what I talk about? Well, Peter sank. Well, at least he walked. But even when he sank, Jesus was right there to lift him back up again. And because Peter walked with Jesus, even when he turned, he was restored. I'm not saying be scared of walking away. I'm not saying that. I just say guard your heart. Protect your heart. Watch your heart. Forgive everybody of everything. Your heart is too precious to be corrupted by offense, by the deceitfulness of sin, and by unbelief. Protect your heart.
Go ahead, put that in the chat. Say protect your heart. Protect your heart. That's how you don't end up the villain. It's because you protect your heart. You know, I think about when I was preparing this message, I think of this message the last couple of weeks. It reminded me of, you know, the Broadway performance Hamilton and how it's Aaron Burr singing and recapping, saying, you know, now I'm the villain of your history. Who in the beginning of the production started as the friend of Alexander Hamilton and now he's the enemy, he's the one who killed him. Don't end up the enemy. Guard your heart. Protect your heart. Listen to the spirit of God. Avoid the things he tells you to avoid. Go to the places he tells you to go. Be quick to forgive. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Quick to repent. Yield always to the spirit of God. He has such wonderful plans for you at the end of this year. And so many wonderful things for you next year. As we enter into a time of rest, renewal, revival, and refreshing. Don't let your heart cause you to be a person who misses out on what God has for them. A lot of people miss out next year because of their heart. They won't even see it when it comes. And they'll just complain about all the things that are going on and they'll miss what God has for them because their heart will make them look somewhere else. And because of the condition of the heart and unrenewed mind, they won't receive what God has for them. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you. Oh, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you because you are good. And your mercy endures forever. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for your mercies. Your mercies are new to us every single morning. It's by your mercy we are not consumed. Great is your faithfulness towards us. Help us not have a hardened heart. Help us not to be lured away by the deceitfulness of sin and offense and unbelief and unforgiveness. Help us walk before you and live before you and walk with you all the days of our lives. So the way we start we end better than where we started. We don't become those who started gloriously and ended horribly or started with you and became your enemy. No, those who start and they're finished, their end is brighter. As you said in the scriptures, the, the life of the jets gets brighter every single day. It gets brighter to the full shining of the noonday sun. That's what we desire, that we increase in the light, increase in hope, increase in love, increase in revelation, increase in power, not decrease and become less than what you've called us to be. We only can do this with your help. So Father, help us to be hearers of this word tonight and to be doers, not just to be hearers only. Because if we're hearers only, we deceive our own selves. We don't want to be deceived. We want to walk in the light as you are in the light. So Father, I thank you for your help. I thank you for this word. Now help us do it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. I believe today's message encourages you, it strengthens you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the Metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at fccga.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called The Faith Podcast and then we have our daily devotional podcast which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in and remember something good is going to happen to you today so expect miracles. God bless.